A Biography of Jonathan Edwards by Sarah O'Dwight Chapter 16 Commencement of Difficulties at Northampton That this world is not a place of rest, even to the most excellent of men, is a fact proved by the history of all past ages. How few who have been in prominent situations of usefulness, but have experienced a variety of bitter disappointments, which, though mysterious in themselves, Disgraceful to those who have been the occasions of them, and most distressing to those who have felt their weight, yet have presented to their reflecting mind no unimportant lessons, and have tended to results little anticipated by any party connected with them. Nor should it seem strange to us that neither the world nor the Church of God itself in its present imperfect state can be considered as affording a resting place. All the instruments employed by God in the promotion of His work have been greatly tried. Their labors have been mingled with their tears, and they have not only suffered from their own personal share of human imperfection, but have found in the ignorance, the perverse dispositions, and the unholy practices of others, their sharpest sorrows. They have been grieved by foes, but more injured and vexed by pretended friends. Divine grace has, however, enabled them honorably to stand amidst these perilous conflicts. And though the storm has fiercely raged around them, they have at length found a calm which can never be endangered, and a place before those who succeed them this grand lesson, that the faithful pursuit of the path of duty, whatever may be its difficulties and trials, will end well and that this is the only course which can be reviewed with any satisfaction amidst the solemnities of a dying scene. If any individual might have expected freedom from painful opposition, Jonathan Edwards was that person. If unblemished holiness of character, if fervent desires of usefulness and all of its varied and delightful forms, and if constant devotedness to every object connected with man's present and eternal good, could have ensured uninterrupted satisfaction here how large was the measure of enjoyment which would have fallen to the lot of this excellent man. All that he was, and all that he had, he was disposed to sacrifice upon the altar of God, and to dedicate to the service of his fellow creatures. No disposition to spare himself, to exalt himself, or place burdens upon others which he was unwilling to share could be discovered in him. Yet, Afflictions of no common extent attended him, but still he could say, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, in a ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Jonathan Edwards was for many years unusually happy in the esteem and love of his people. And there was during that period the greatest prospect of his living and dying in the same state of harmony. So admirably was he qualified for the discharge of his official duties, and so faithful in the actual discharge of them, that he was probably the last minister in New England who would have been thought likely to be opposed and rejected by the people of his charge. His uniform kindness, and that of Mrs. Edwards, had won their affection, and the exemplary piety of both had secured their confidence. His very able and original exhibitions of truth on the Sabbath had enlightened their understandings and their consciences. His published works had gained him a reputation for powerful talents, both in Europe and America, which left him without a competitor either in the colonies or the mother country. 
His labors had been remarkably blessed. He had been the means of gathering one of the largest churches on earth, and of such of the members as had any real evidence of their own piety. The great body ascribed their conversion to his instrumentality. But the event teaches us the instability of all earthly things, and proves how incompetent we are to calculate those consequences which depend upon a cause so uncertain and changeable as the will of man. In the year 1744, about six years before the final separation, Jonathan Edwards was informed that some young persons in the town, who were members of the church, had licentious books in their possession which they employed to promote obscene conversation among the young people at home. Upon further inquiry, a number of persons testified that they had heard one and another of them from time to time talk obscenely, as what they were led to by reading books of this gross character which they had in circulation among them. On the evidence thus presented to him, Mr. Edward thought that the brethren of the church ought to look into the matter, and in order to introduce it to their attention, he preached a sermon from Hebrews verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. After the sermon he desired the brethren of the church to stop, told them what information he had received, and put the question to them in form whether the church on the evidence before them thought proper to take any measures to examine into the matter. The members of the church, with one consent, and with much zeal manifested it to be their opinion that it ought to be inquired into, and proceeded to choose a number of individuals as a committee of inquiry to assist their pastor in examining into the affair. After this, Mr. Edwards appointed the time for the committee of the church to meet at his house, and then read to the church a catalogue of the names of the young persons whom he desired to come to his house at the same time. Some of those whose names were thus read were persons accused, and some were witnesses. But through mere forgetfulness or inadvertence on his part, he did not state to the church in which of these two classes any particular individual was included, or in what character he was requested to meet the committee, whether as one of the accused or a witness. When the names were thus published, it appeared that there were but few of the considerable families in the town to which some of the persons named either did not belong or were not nearly related. Many of the church, however, having heard the names read, condemned what they had done before they got home to their own houses. And whether this disclosure of the names accompanied with the apprehension that some of their own connections were included in the list of offenders was the occasion of the alteration or not, it is certain that, before the day appointed for the meeting of the committee arrived, a great number of heads of families altered their minds, and declared they did not think proper to proceed as they had begun, and that their children should not be called to an account in such a way for such conduct, and the town was suddenly in a blaze. This strengthened the hands of the accused, some refused to appear. Others who did appear behaved with a great degree of insolence and contempt of the authority of the church, and little or nothing could be done further in the affair. This was the occasion of weakening Mr. Edwards' hands on the work of the ministry, especially among young people, 
with whom by this means he greatly lost his influence. It seemed in a great measure to put an end to his usefulness at Northampton, and doubtless laid a foundation for his removal, and would help to account for the surprising events which we are about to relate. He certainly had no great visible success after this. The influences of the Holy Spirit were chiefly withheld, and the stupidity and worldly-mindedness were greatly increased among them. The great and singular degree of good order, sound morals, and visible religion which had for years prevailed at Northampton soon began gradually to decay, and the young people obviously became from that time more dissolute. There was another difficulty of a far more serious nature. The Church of Northampton, like the other churches, early churches of New England, was formed on the plan of strict communion. In other words, none were admitted to the Lord's Supper but those who, after due examination, were regarded as regenerate persons. Such was the uniform practice of the church from its formulation during the ministry of Mr. Mather, and for a considerable period after the settlement of Solomon Stoddard, the predecessor of Mr. Edwards. Mr. Stoddard publicly avowed a change in his opinions in 1704 when he had been in the ministry at Northampton 32 years, and endeavored at that time to introduce a corresponding change in the practice of the church. He then declared himself in the language of Samuel Hopkins to be of the opinion that the unconverted persons considered as such had a right in the sight of God, or by his appointment, to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that thereby it was their duty to come to that ordinance, though they knew they had no true goodness or evangelical holiness. He maintained that visible Christianity does not consist in a profession or appearance of that in which true holiness or real Christianity consists, that therefore the profession which persons make, in order to be received as visible members of Christ's church, ought not to be such as to express or imply a real compliance with, or consent to the terms of this covenant of grace, or a hearty embracing of the gospel, so that they who really reject Jesus Christ, and dislike the gospel way of salvation in their hearts, and know that this is true of themselves, may make the profession without lying and hypocrisy, on the principle that they regard the sacrament as a converting ordinance, and partake of it with the hope of obtaining conversion. He formed a short profession for persons to make in order to be admitted into the church and to the sacrament on these terms. Solomon Stoddard's principle at first made a great noise in the country, and he was opposed, as introducing something contrary to the principles and the practice of almost all the churches in New England, and a matter was publicly controverted between him and Dr. Increase Mather of Northampton. However, through Mr. Stoddard's great influence over the people of Northampton, it was introduced there, though not without opposition. By degrees it spread very much among ministers and people in that county and in other parts of New England. At the settlement of Mr. Edwards in 1727, this alteration in the qualifications required for admission into the church had been in operation about 22 or 3 years a period during which the great body of the members of any church will be changed. This lax plan of admission has nowhere been adopted by a church for any considerable length of time without introducing a large proportion of members who are destitute of piety. And although Mr. Stoddard was in other respects so faithful a minister, and so truly desirous of the conversion and salvation of his people, 
there can be no doubt that such must have been the result during so long a period in the church at Northampton. The following quote is by Samuel Hopkins in his biography of Mr. Edwards. Quote, Mr. Edwards had some hesitation about this matter when he first settled at Northampton, but did not receive such a degree of conviction as to prevent his adopting it with a good conscience for some years. But at length, his doubts increased which put him upon examining it thoroughly by searching the scriptures and reading such books as were written on the subject. The result was a full conviction that it was wrong and that he could not retain the practice with a good conscience. He was fully convinced that to be a visible Christian was to put on the visibility or appearance of a real Christian, that a profession of Christianity was a profession of that wherein real Christianity consists and therefore that no person who rejected Christ in his heart could make such a profession consistently with truth. And as the ordinance of the Lord's Supper was instituted for none but visible professing Christians, did none but those who are real Christians have a right in the sight of God to come to that ordinance. And consequently, did none ought to be admitted thereto who do not make a profession of real Christianity. And so, can be received in a judgment of charity as true friends to Jesus Christ. When Jonathan Edwards' sentiments were generally known in the spring of the year 1749, it gave great offense, and the town was put into a great ferment. And before he was heard in his own defense, or it was known by many what his principles were, the general cry was to have him dismissed as what would alone satisfy them. This is evident from the whole tenor of their conduct, as they neglected and opposed the most proper means of calmly considering, and so a thoroughly understanding the manner in dispute, and persisted in a refusal to attend to what Mr. Edwards had to say in defense of his principles. From the beginning to the end, he opposed the measures, which had the best tendency to compromise and heal the difficulty and with much zeal pursued those which were calculated to make a separation certain and speedy. He thought of preaching on the subject, that they might know what were his sentiments on the grounds of them, of both which he was sensible that most of them were quite ignorant, before they take any steps for a separation. But, that he might do nothing to increase the tumult, he first proposed a thing to the standing committee of the church, supposing that if he entered on the subject publicly with their consent, it would prevent the ill consequences which otherwise he feared would follow. But the most of them strenuously opposed it, upon which he gave it over for the present, as what in such circumstances would rather blow up the fire to a greater height than answer the good ends proposed." End quote. Jonathan Edwards was sensible that his principles were not understood, but misrepresented through the country, and finding that his people were too warm, calmly to attend to the manner in controversy, he proposed to print what he had to say on the point, and this seemed the only way left him to have a fair hearing. Accordingly, his people consented to put off calling a council till what he should write was published. With this view, he began immediately to prepare a statement in defense of his own sentiments, and in the latter part of April, about two months from the time of its commencement, sent it to the press, an instance of rapidity of composition almost unexampled in an individual who was at once occupied by the duties of an extensive parish. 
and involved in the embarrassments of a most perplexing controversy. Notwithstanding the efforts of Mr. Edwards, the printing of the work was not completed until August. It was entitled An Humble Inquiry into the Rules of the Word of God Concerning the Qualifications Requisite to a Complete Standing and Full Communion in the Visible Christian Church, and contains a discussion of the question agitated between himself and his people, whether any persons ought to be admitted to full communion in the Christian Church by such as, in the eye of a reasonable judgment, are truly Christians, a discussion so thorough and conclusive that it has been the standard work with evangelical divine from that time to the present. It was a very painful consideration of Mr. Edwards that while the circumstances in which he was placed constrained him to declare his sentiments from the press, he appealed to the learned. The production of a man so much loved and venerated at Northampton and so much respected throughout New England and his own colleague, too, and his own grandfather, was the work and the only work of any respectability on the opposite side of the question which he should be obliged publicly to examine and refute. But his feelings on the subject he has himself explained, quote, It is far from a pleasing circumstance of this publication that it is against what my honored grandfather strenuously maintained, both from the pulpit and the press. I can truly say, on account of this and some other considerations, it is what I engage in with the greatest reluctance that ever I undertook any public service in my life. But the state of things with me is so ordered by the sovereign disposal of the great governor of the world that my doing this appears to me very necessary and altogether unavoidable. I am conscious that not only is the interest of religion concerned in this affair, but my own reputation, future usefulness, and my very subsistence all seem to depend on my freely opening and defending myself as to my principles and agreeable conduct in my pastoral charge, and on my doing it from the press, in which way alone am I able to state and justify my opinion to any purpose before the country, which is full of noise, misrepresentations, and many censors concerning this affair, or even before my own people as all would be fully sensible if they knew the exact state of the case. I have been brought to this necessity in divine providence by such a situation of affairs and coincidence of circumstances and events, as I choose at present to be silent about, and which it is not needful nor perhaps expedient for me to publish to the world." The people of Northampton manifested great uneasiness in waiting for this publication before it came out of the press. And when it was published, some of the leading men, afraid of its ultimate effect on the minds of the people, did their utmost to prevent its extensive perusal. And it was read by comparatively a small number. Some of those who read it, of a more cool and dispassionate temper, were led to doubt whether they had not been mistaken. Jonathan Edwards, as Samuel Hopkins observes, being sensible that his treatise had been read but by very few of the people, renewed his proposal to preach upon the subject, and at a meeting of the brethren of the church asked their consent in the following terms. I desire that the brethren would manifest their consent, that I should declare the reasons of my opinion relating to full communion in the church, and lectures appointed forth that end, not as an act of authority, or as putting the power of declaring the whole counsel of God out of my hands, but for peace's sake and to prevent occasion for strife, 
This was answered in the negative. He then proposed that it should be left to a few of the neighboring ministers whether it was not all things considered reasonable that he should be heard in this manner from the pulpit before the affair should be brought to an issue. But this also passed in the negative. However, having had the advice of the ministers and messengers of the neighboring churches who met at Northampton, to advise him under their difficulties, he proceeded to appoint a lecture in order to preach on the subject, proposing to do so weekly till he had finished what he had to say. On Monday, there was a society meeting in which a vote was passed to choose a committee to go to Mr. Edwards and desire him not to preach lectures on the subject in controversy, according to his declaration and appointment, in consequence of which a committee of three men chosen for that purpose waited upon him. However, Mr. Edwards thought proper to proceed according to his proposal, and accordingly preached a number of sermons till he had finished what he had to say on the subject. These lectures were very thinly attended by his own people, but great numbers of strangers from the neighboring towns attended them, so many as to make above half the congregation. This was in February and March, 1750. The calling of a decisive council to determine the manner of difference was now more particularly attended to on both sides. Mr. Edwards had before this insisted from time to time that they were by no means right for such a procedure, as they had not yet given him a fair hearing, whereby perhaps the need of such a council would be superseded. He observed that it was exceedingly unbecoming to manage religious affairs of the greatest importance in a ferment and tumult, which ought to be managed with great solemnity, deep humiliation, submission to the awful frowns of heaven humble dependence on God, with fervent prayer and supplication to him, that therefore for them to go about such an affair as they did, would be greatly to the dishonor of God in religion, a way in which a people cannot expect a blessing. Thus, having used all means to bring them to a calm and charitable temper, without effect, he consented that a decisive council should be called without any further delay. But a difficulty attended the choice of a council, which was for some time insuperable. It was agreed that the council should be mutually chosen, one half by the pastor and the other half by the church. But the people insisted upon it that he should be confined to the county for his choice. Mr. Edward thought this an unreasonable restraint upon him, as it was known that the ministers and churches in that county were almost universally against him in the controversy. He indeed did not suppose that the business of the proposed council would be to determine whether his opinion was right or not, but whether any possible way could be devised for an accommodation between pastor and people, and to use their wisdom and endeavor in order to effect it. And if they found this impracticable, they must determine whether that odd injustice to be done had already actually been attempted, so that there was nothing further to be demanded by either of the parties concerned before a separation should take place. And if he was dismissed by them, it would be their business to set forth to the world in what manner, and for what cause he was dismissed, all which were matters of great importance to him and required upright and impartial judges. Now, considering the great influence a difference in religious opinions has to prejudice men one against another, and the close connection of the point in which most of the ministers and churches in the county differed from him, 
with the manner to be judged of, he did not think they could be reasonably looked upon so impartial judges as that the manner ought to be left wholly to them. Besides, he thought that the case, being so new and extraordinary, required the ablest judges in the land. For these, and some of the reasons which he offered, he insisted upon liberty to go out of the country for those members of the proposed council in which he was to have a choice. And this, the people strenuously and obstinately opposed him. At length they agreed to have the manner to a council consisting of the ministerial messengers of the five neighboring churches, after they had met twice upon it, and had the case largely debated before them, were equally divided, and therefore left the matter undetermined. However, they were all agreed that Mr. Edwards ought to have liberty to go out of the country for some of the council, and at the next church meeting, which was on the 26th of March, Mr. Edwards offered to join with them in calling the council if they would consent that he should choose two of the churches out of the county and his council consisted of but ten churches. The church, however, refused to comply with this at one meeting after another repeatedly, and proceeded to warn a church meeting and choose a moderator in order to act without their pastor. But to pass by many particulars, at length at a meeting of the church, May 3rd, they voted their consent to his proposal of going out of the country for two of the churches that should be applied to and they then proceeded to make choice of the ten ministers of churches of which the council should consist. Chapter 16